Once again, thank you, Joyful Praise. If you have the Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Late last year, we began a sermon series through 1 and 2 Timothy. If you recall, epistles are letters, so we're reading somebody else's mail. We're reading the Apostle Paul's letters to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And we're about to come to a close in our series. Next week, in fact, will be the last message. And then we'll be picking up and getting ready for Easter with some Easter messages leading us to Resurrection Day. You say, Pastor, Easter is about six to seven weeks away. You're right. But when you get old, they come fast, do they not? Yeah, you young folks don't know nothing about that. But... The older you get, the more time talks, and the more it says, bye. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 4, leaving on my mind, and when you found it, look up here at me. I'd like to begin by asking you a question, not the person in front of you, not the person behind you, not to the left or to the right of you. This question's for you, you answer it. How do you want to be remembered? When you leave this world. How do you want to be remembered? When people gather together and talk about you. How do you want to be remembered? When you leave this world. While you're thinking about it. Why don't we do a tour through a cemetery? And we might pick up some ideas. How others have been remembered from what's on their tombstone, okay? Maybe some of you would like to be remembered like this. She always said her feet was killing her, but no one believed her, but now we do. Or maybe you'd like to be remembered as this gentleman was on his tombstone. Here lies John Yeast. Pardon him for not rising. Or maybe you'd like to be remembered as Lester Moore was. This is the grave of Lester Moore, who left us with four slugs from a 44. No less, no more. I like this one. He loved to bet on the horses, but he also loved his wife a close second. <laughs> Here lies the body of John Pease, but just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. Now, one day you're going to be in a cemetery. You might be in a box. You might be in a a vase. You might be below ground, you might be in a mausoleum slot. But one day, you're going to be remembered by people who pass by your grave spot. And the question is, what will they think about you? What will they say about you? Well, in our verses that we're going to read in just a minute, the Apostle Paul is writing his epitaph. You see, we're not going to have that opportunity, perhaps, 
But Paul was given that opportunity. He was honored by God to write his epitaph that will go on his tombstone. Because in just a few months, Paul is going to die. He is going to be executed by the Roman government. He is going to lose his head. What crime could he have committed that would require him to die for that crime? Was he a murderer? Was he a rapist? Was he a liar, a cheat, a thief? No. He was guilty of sharing Jesus to a people in a society who didn't want to hear it. And Nero, who was the Roman Caesar, a madman and murderer, if there ever was one, he believed that if you kill the messenger, you stop the message. How wrong he was. The message of Christ goes on and on and on. The messengers may come and go, but the message will be eternal. Notice what God directed Paul to write on his epitaph. Because remember, when Paul writes, he's writing under the leadership of God's Spirit. So when Paul says, this is what I want to put on my tombstone, this is what I want to put on my marker, God's giving him this. God is amening this. This is God's opinion of his man. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, who is the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who love his appearance. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, can I let you in on a secret? You're going to die one day. Should Jesus tarry, every one of us are one day going to be at Park's funeral home or Dial funeral home or Stur's funeral home. We're going to be in a funeral home. And then we're going to go out to a gravesite. All of us are going to die. It's not if, it's when. You know how I know that? Because <laughs> the Bible says so. Of course, the government statistics tell us one out of one will die too. They came up with that after spending $100 million of our tax money. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then there will be a judgment. Just for the record, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. So when we die, we will face Jesus. We will face Him as Savior, we'll face Him as Lord, or we'll face Him as Judge, but we will face Him. We're all going to die. So we need to be thinking about what we want on our tombstone, what do we want on our marker. Because for some of us, death is going to come very suddenly and swiftly and surprisingly and shockingly. For others of us, we'll have some time to ponder it a little bit. 
because death will come in a more prepared fashion, perhaps, for us. For some of us, death is going to come after a short period of life. I buried a gentleman yesterday who was 46. He died of Lou Gehrig's disease. 46 is a young man. And one member of his family who gave his eulogy was 93 years old. So some of us will die after a short life. Others of us will die after a long life. Some of us are going to die and go to a celebration in heaven. Oh, what's singing? Oh, what's shouting? We'll see Jesus face to faith and we will worship with the redeemed of all the ages. What a time that'll be. But others of us will die and instead of it being a celebration, it will be a tragedy of tragedies. Because we will go to a place where there is no hope. We'll go to hell. We're going to die. The question is, as I look at our verses with you this morning, is what will our departure be like? What will our legacy be? And will there be a reward for us in heaven one day? Let's go to our verses now. And the first question I want us to ask ourselves is what kind of departure will you have and I have? Notice verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And I'll go back to that in a minute. And the time of my departure, the time of my ending of life, the time of my death is at hand. Paul knows that he soon is going to die. He only has a few weeks, maybe a few months left before he's going to leave this world. He doesn't say he's going to die, though. He calls his death a departure. A departure. Paul wasn't afraid of dying. Death wasn't a big deal to God's man. In fact, death was a promotion to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But Paul called death, from his Christian perspective, a departure. The word departure, if I was to paint you a picture, and I'm not an artist, so I won't do that, but if I was an artist and I was going to paint you a picture, a, 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 a drawing of the word departure, I would have three pictures I could paint for you. The first picture would be the picture of a cruise ship. A cruise ship leaving the harbor, filled with passengers with a big smile on their face, waving goodbye to their family of friends as they prepare to sail out to sea. The sun is shining, the waters are calm, the wind is blowing slightly. It's going to be a wonderful voyage. Paul said, I'm about ready to leave this world. I'm on a cruise ship. See you later. Oh, the sun is shining. The water's calm. The wind is blowing. I'm going to have the time of my life. I wish you were with me. Then the second picture of the word departure would be that of an army. 
An army that has been fighting a war, but they've won the war now. They've got the victory. And now they're folding up their tents. They're packing up their bags. And they're headed home. The soldiers in this army have won the victory. They're headed home to be with their family. They're headed home to a life of peace. They're headed home to a brand new life. But they don't have to see dying. They're headed home. And Paul looked at his life and he says, you know, in just a few weeks or a few months, I who am a soldier of Christ, as our choir sang, we're all soldiers of Christ if he's your Savior. Paul said, I'm a soldier and I've been fighting for my Lord. And I got the victory. And now I'm going home. I'm going home. My commander in chief has called me home. And I'm going to be with my family. And I'm going to be in a place where there is peace. And I'm going to have a new life. And in the third picture, he's talking about his death. Can you and I talk about death that way? Are we more gloomy and doomy and negative? Paul says, lastly, when I think of my death, he said, I picture a man carrying a heavy bag on his back. It's so heavy that it has stooped him over. The sun is hot, he's perspiring, he's tired, he's weary, he's thirsty. And he's got this huge bag on his back. And all of a sudden, the whistle blows. Beep! And it's announced over the intercom. Time to go home. Report to the paymaster because it's payday too. So the man, he does what with that heavy load? Drops it down. Walks upright. Heads to the paymaster. Gets his paycheck. And says, adios. Until Monday again. Paul compares his death to dropping a heavy load and headed to the pay window to get his paycheck because his work down here is over. You see, Paul talks about departure. Do you look at your departure that way? If I told you you're going to be dead tomorrow, would you all of a sudden be sweating bullets? Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Paul was perfectly calm and at peace. He's getting ready to take a voyage. He's going home to loved ones. He's getting ready to drop a heavy load and go to a place where all the loads are light, if there's any load at all. You know why he could say that? Why he could feel that way? Because he had offered himself to the Lord as a drink offering. You know what a drink offering is? In that, in that day, if you wanted to pay a special tribute to God, you brought a bottle of wine to the altar. And you opened that bottle of wine and you poured all of its contents out on hot coals. When the alcohol of the wine hit the hot coals, it would vaporize it. And it would turn into a pleasing aroma 
that, that sweet wine hitting those hot coals would vaporize into a sweet aroma. And those who brought a drink offering were offering to God everything in the bottle to give him a sweet aroma of their life, their worship, and their ministry. And what Paul is saying is, I've lived my life that way. I have emptied myself each and every day for the cause of Jesus. I poured myself out on the hot coals of this world. And I was vaporized into a sweet aroma that my Lord could smell. My way of saying thank you and to worship him for who he is and what he's done for me. And because I've done that each and every day of my life, I have poured myself out for him and allowed him to make me a sweet aroma for his nostrils and for the nostrils of anyone and everyone. I've lived my life with no regrets. I have finished well, therefore I will die well. His departure. Will that be our departure? Can we honestly say if that day comes, if it came today, that we have poured our life out in entirety to the cause of Christ in our worship and ministry to Him and of Him? Can we honestly say we have no regrets? Our life has been a sweet aroma to Him and to others. What will our departure be like? Then secondly, he moves on in verse 7. And he goes from talking about his departure. And by the way, he's very calm about talking about like this. We get very upset when people talk about death. Shh, shh, don't say that. Pastor, would you go talk to Grandma? Grandma's saying some things about dying. We don't want to hear. had a lady many years ago tell me, Pastor... My family gets upset at me for talking about death, but she says, quite frankly, I got more to live for up there than I do down here. I don't know why they want to hold me back. Paul had that outlook. There was more weight on him up there than down here. His work was finished. It was time to sail away, pick up the tents, and move on. But in verse 7 now, he's talking about his legacy. We're all going to depart one day, whatever that departure will be and to wherever it will be. But he also talks about legacy in verse 7. Look at verse 7, following your Bibles. This is what Paul's, this is his tombstone, ladies and gentlemen. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Do you know Evangelist Billy Sunday? That was his epitaph on his tombstone. He was the Billy Graham of his day. This is Paul's, the same thing. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. That was really a summation of Paul's life. If I asked you in a couple of sentences to summarize your life, what would you say? Uh, well, uh, 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 no, that ain't good. <laughs> I mean, what summarizes your life? 
Paul said, let me tell you, all the years that I've lived, this summarizes it all. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Let's break that down. First of all, he says, I fought the good fight. You see, Paul understood the Christian life is not a tiptoe through the tulips, smelling the roses, basking in the sunshine, singing happy songs. The Apostle Paul understood that living in this world is hard and serving Jesus is that much harder. This world is opposed to Christ, opposed to the cause of Christ. This world doesn't have a problem with God, an ambiguous God, he, she, it, or they God. But this world can't stand Jesus Christ. You go to work tomorrow and say, Jesus Christ, you'll raise eyebrows. You'll have people whispering. You might be told you can't say that. You go to work tomorrow and just talk about God, nobody will pay you any attention. Because God can be anything you want God to be, including yourself. Paul understood that serving the Lord, you're going to get opposition. That's what he's talking about when he says, I fought the good fight. He understood the Christian life was a fight. It's 15 rounds. Well, they don't do 15 rounds in boxing anymore. It's 12 rounds. And you've got to fight in every one of them. Paul never gave up, he never quit, he never surrendered, he never tapped out, he never threw in the towel, he never waved the white flag. When things got rough, Paul got tough. He understood the Christian life was difficult, it was a battle, and he was prepared for it. He fought the good fight. It's interesting in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4 and 5, he talks about some of the things he faced in the Christian life. He says, I faced things that require patience, and I faced tribulations, and I faced great needs and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and conflicts and, and beatings and labors and sleeplessness and fasting. Paul said, let me just tell you what my life was like. But you say, Pastor, he was the greatest Christian man who ever lived. He had lots of faith. I thought if you have lots of faith, nothing ever bothers you. Where would you get that from? Those who live the most for Jesus are going to suffer the most for Jesus. In this world, you shall have persecution, Jesus said. Not pleasure, persecution. It's pleasurable to serve Jesus, but persecution comes with it. Paul says, I fought the good fight. Secondly, he said, I finished the course. I not only fought the fight, but as I said earlier, he went the distance. He didn't quit. He only knew one direction, and it wasn't leftward or rightward or backward. The only direction Paul knew if you're going to serve Jesus was forward. Straight forward. You know, one of the things that I think COVID has brought out more than anything else is how easy some Christians are to throw in the towel. I think it was just a trial run to see what it would take for God's people to quit. I'm not trying to minimize the disease or the sickness. 
I'm not trying to minimize being careful and cautious. But I think it's derailed many people in moving forward for the Lord. Paul said, I understand life has challenges. There's sickness to contend with. There's family to contend with. There's a job to contend with. There's my team losing all the time to contend with. I just threw that in because some people worship sports, so I wanted to cover all the ground. But Paul says, you know, I understand all of that, but I just keep moving forward. Just like the little bunny with the batteries in him. I just keep moving forward. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Theological School, one of the great professors they've had through the years, he did a study many years ago on 100 Bible characters. He went to the Bible, picked out 100 men and women in the Bible, looked at their beginning, looked at their life, and looked at their ending according to the Scriptures. Of those hundred men and women that he looked at, who started with the Lord, continued with the Lord for some period of time, he found that only 33 out of that hundred finished with the Lord. 66 of them, two-thirds of them, they started with the Lord, they continued with the Lord, but then something happened, and they quit. They just quit. They fell down, they fell back, or they fell away, or they did all three. Paul said, that's not going to be me. It hasn't been me. I fought the good fight. I battled against the opponents of my Lord. I fought well, I fought fair, but I fought. And I finished the course. I'm not thrown on the side like so many. I finished. I did what he called me to do, and I did it, and I did it well. And then lastly, notice, he says, I kept the faith. The faith that he's talking about is, is the moral and spiritual truths of the Bible. You see, Paul understood if 2 plus 2 is 4 last week, 2 plus 2 will be 4 this week. And 2 plus 2 will be 4 next week. Truth does not change. You looking up here listening to me? Truth doesn't change. So when the Bible teaches moral truth, it's not changeable, young people. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what Billy Bob, Ph.D. says. It doesn't matter what Dr. So-and-so, Dodo, says. Truth that was yesterday's truth is today's truth will be tomorrow's truth. If it's not, it was never truth to start with. That's why you need to know your Bible so you know Bible truth, not Jim Palmer truth. Bible truth, moral truth, spiritual truth. Paul says, I kept the faith. 
I knew what the scripture said about the morals and I kept the faith. I know what the scripture said about sound doctrine, about spiritual things. I kept the faith. I couldn't be bullied. I couldn't be bribed. I couldn't be beaten. I knew the truth. I didn't want an easier ministry. I didn't care if people liked me. I wanted to be true to the faith of spiritual and moral truth. And he says I was. All of the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. So on Paul's tombstone, as we go through the cemetery, we see his name. Paul the Apostle. He departed from this world on such and such date. He went on a cruise, went to heaven. He went Glenn as a victorious soldier. And he doesn't have any burdens anymore. And he, what did he do? Well, he, he fought a good fight to get there. That's what it says. He finished the race. He kept the faith. He never quit. He never changed direction. He never stopped believing. That's what was on his tombstone. Now, as we close... We've talked about his departure, how he looked at death and was so calm looking at it because he understood what it was for a believer. He also had a legacy. His life was a stepping stone bringing people to Jesus, not a stumbling block tripping them up. And then he closes out by talking about his reward. Paul was looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. And receiving from his Savior a reward for his service. Notice what it says in verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me. Now I'm going to pause just a moment. That phrase, laid up for me, is speaking of something that's very valuable that's guarded by security guards. I think what Paul's saying is there's a bank vault in heaven surrounded by angels with swords and inside that bank vault surrounded by angels with swords God has my reward. It's secure. Ain't nobody going to take it. What is his reward? Look at your Bible. He'll tell you. The crown of righteousness who the angel Gabriel is going to give to me. <laughs> no. I, I'm messing with some of you. I can't help it. You're so easy to mess with. You got you right there. You're looking at it with your Bible, and I say something like that, and y'all going, y'all are bobbleheads, Baptist bobbleheads. What does your Bible say? It doesn't say Gabriel. It doesn't say Michael. It doesn't say Moses. It doesn't say Abraham. Paul says there's a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, Christ Jesus will give to me on that day. And not just to me. I'm no special person. But to all who will love his appearing. What kind of reward was Paul looking forward to? 
What kind of reward are we looking forward to? Paul mentions the crown of righteousness. But do you know the Bible actually tells us there's five crowns you and I can win from our service down here that will be given to us up there. And these crowns will never be put on our head up there. They will be handed to us by the only one who's worthy to wear a crown in heaven, and his name is Jesus. But he will give us a crown, and then we, in worship to him, will fall to our knees and lay that crown right back at his feet and say, Lord, you don't have to reward us for anything. It was our honor and privilege to serve you because of what you did for us. Five crowns will be given, not because of salvation, that's already been settled, but service. The way that we lived our life. The crown of righteousness is given to those who are faithful to the end. Who love the appearing of Jesus. Who loves the appearing of Jesus? Those who are faithful. If I told you Jesus will be here in five minutes, those of you that are faithful, you'd say, that's fine. You just kick back and wait. But if you're here and you haven't been living for Jesus, or you're not living for Jesus, and he's coming in five minutes, I'd watch you slip out the door. Because you have to get home to empty that beer out of that refrigerator and clean out that cabinet of some videos that ought not to be there. And to go get your checkbook and write a huge check to the church because you ain't paid tithes in a long time. You say, Pastor, who are you talking about? If your phone's ringing, pick it up. The crown of righteousness is given to those who are faithful. Day in and day out, faithful, committed, loyal to the things of God and God himself. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the second crown, and I'm just going to give them to you real quick, is the crown of rejoicing. And that's given to those who believe that a better day is coming. The best is yet to come for God's people. The people of this world eat spinach. What are they going to get when they leave this world? Poke salad. Ain't getting nothing no better. But we in Christ, our best is yet to come. When we leave this world of spinach, we're going to a world of cream brulee, to chocolate cake, to cinnamon cake, to peach cobbler. The dessert is coming for God's people. And those who get the crown of rejoicing they live every day with the anticipation that there's something up there worth living for down here. And then there's the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5. And that's given to those who are looking for the return of Jesus. Are you looking for the return of Jesus? I hope so, because he's coming soon. Then in Revelation 2, we learn about another crown. Crown 4 is the crown of life. And that's given to those who love the Lord and they love Him so much they keep His commandments. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us of the fifth crown. 
called the imperishable crown. And that's given to those who live a victorious life. They just don't sing victory in Jesus. They live victory in Jesus. So those are the five rewards. And some of us are going to get one. Some will get two, three, four. Some might get all five. But you know, some of us won't get any. We've not done anything down here that has made any difference in anybody's life or the life to come for them. We just lived our life but did nothing for anyone else, nothing for Him. Saved by grace, but we never served by grace. We never witnessed by grace. We never prayed by grace. We never read the Bible by grace. We never gave by grace. All we did was take God's grace of salvation and did no more with it. Paul said, when I face the Lord, He will give to me, among many things, a crown of righteousness. I'm going to close by just painting you a picture of what that day is going to look like. Because in Corinthians, Paul talks about the Bema Seat judgment. That's the judgment where the crowns will be given out. The Bema Seat Judgment comes from the town square of Rome. A platform would be built in town square just like this. And generals coming back from combat in defense of the Roman Empire or on campaigns of conquest for the Roman Empire, they would march into the city square, the city, the center of the city. The general would bring the troops in. And the troops would line up in lines, massive lines of hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And they would stand erect in attention. And all eyes would be on the platform where Caesar would be. And Caesar would pass out commendations, decorations, medals, to those who had been meritous of them on the battlefields. He would call out the name of the particular soldier. That soldier would leave the rank and file formation, come to the platform in the sight of everybody, the Roman citizens, the fellow soldiers, the slaves, everybody would watch as they came to the platform and Caesar met them with a handshake, brought them over to the side, and gifted them with a reward for their service to Rome, their service to Caesar himself. And what Paul is saying is one day, all of the saints of all the ages are going to go to center square heaven. Thousands upon thousands, upon thousands, upon thousands will stand in formation. The angels will watch and Jesus Christ will come to the platform. The commander-in-chief of God's armies. And he will start calling names. Nick Burns. Al Hinken, 
Keith Wilson, David Rajan. And they will come to the platform and Jesus will meet them. He'll shake their hand, he'll hug their neck. And he will lay into their hand an award. And gentlemen and ladies, we will bend back down and give them back to him. There is a reward day coming. Will you be rewarded? Paul said his departure it is at hand, so is ours. His legacy has been made, so is ours being made. And the rewards are being gathered in heaven for us one day. How are you going to do, ladies and gentlemen? How am I going to do when that day comes? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.